For almost 40 years, anyone driving on Route 16 could see the billboard with grainy pictures of five dark-haired, sad-looking children. Their names and ages, Maurice, 14, Martha, 12, Louis, 9, Jenny, 8, and Betty, 5, were written below, along with rumours about what happened to them. Fayetteville was, and still is, a small town with a main street that isn't more than a hundred yards long. But what could we be talking about? Well, chilling thrills, unexplained mysteries, and creepy stories that actually occurred. Welcome to another episode of Freakier Than Fiction. I'm your host Chad, and as you know, in each episode together we will dive into the world of the unknown. So, if that kind of thing interests you, and you haven't done this already, then kindly hit that follow or subscribe button, and that way you won't miss the next freaky episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the Sodder children disappearance. In this case, rumours were always more important than evidence, and no one could agree on whether the children were dead or alive. Everyone knew for sure that George and Jenny Sodder and nine of their ten children went to bed the night before Christmas in 1945. One of their sons was away in the army at the time. The fire started around 1am. George and Jenny and four of their children were able to escape the home, but they never saw the other five again. George had broken a window to get back into the house to save them, cutting a strip of skin off his arm in the process. He couldn't see anything because of the smoke and the fire, which had spread to all the rooms on the first floor. He quickly thought about what he knew. Two-year-old Sylvia, whose crib was in their bedroom, was safe outside, as was their 17-year-old daughter Marion and his two sons, 23-year-old John and 16-year-old George Jr., who had fled their shared bedroom upstairs, singeing their hair on the way out. He thought that Maurice, Martha, Lewis, Jenny and Betty were still up there, hiding in two bedrooms on opposite sides of the hallway, separated by a burning staircase. He ran back outside and tried to get them through the window on the second floor, but the ladder he always kept against the house was missing. He thought of driving one of his two coal trucks up to the house and climbing on top of it to reach the windows, but even though they worked fine the day before, neither of them would turn on now. He tried to think of something else. He tried to get water out of a rain barrel, but the water was frozen. Five of his children were stuck somewhere in those big whipping ropes of smoke. He didn't notice that his arm was covered in blood or that the screaming their names heard his voice. Marion, his daughter, dashed to a neighbor's house to dial the Fayetteville Fire Department, but no one answered. A neighbor who saw the fire called from a nearby bar, but still there was no answer. The neighbor got so mad that he drove into town and found Fire Chief F.J. Morris. He set up Fayetteville's version of a fire alarm which was a phone tree system in which one firefighter called another, who then called another. Even though the fire department was only two and a half miles away, they didn't get there until 8am, 
by which time the Sodder's house was just a smouldering pile of ash. George and Jenny thought that five of their children were dead, but a quick search of the property on Christmas Day turned up no remains. Chief Morris said that the fire had been hot enough to burn the bodies completely. A state police inspector went through the wreckage and found that the fire was caused by bad wiring. George put five feet of dirt on top of the basement to keep the site as a memorial, and just before the new year, the coroner's office gave out five death certificates that said fire or suffocation was the cause of death. But the Sodders were starting to worry about whether or not their kids were alive. The Sodders planted flowers in the spot where their house once stood, and they get, began to piece together a series of strange events that occurred prior to the fire. There was a stranger that came to the house in, a f in the fall a few months before and asked if there was any hauling work. He walked to the back of the house and pointed to two separate fuse boxes and said, this is going to cause a fire someday. George found this strange, especially since he had just had the wiring checked by the local power company which said it was fine. About the same time, another man tried to sell George and his family life insurance. When George said no, he got angry and said, your goddamn house is going up in flames and your kids are going to die. You're going to have to pay for the bad things you said about Mussolini. George was very vocal about how he didn't like Mussolini, and sometimes he got into heated arguments with other Italians in Fayetteville. At the time, George didn't take the man's threats seriously. The older Sodder boys also remember something strange just before Christmas. They saw a man parked along US Highway 21 watching the younger kids come home from school with rapt attention. Around 12.30am on Christmas morning, after the kids had opened a few gifts and everyone had gone to bed, the phone rang loudly. Jenny was the first to answer. A woman's voice she didn't know asked for a name that she didn't know, and in the background there was loud laughter and the sounds of glasses being clinked. Jenny said, you have the wrong number, and then she hung up. As she crept back to bed, she saw that all the lights in the basement were still on and the curtains were open. There was no lock on the front door, and she saw Marion sleeping on the couch in the living room so she thought the other kids were in beds upstairs. She turned off the lights, closed the curtains, locked the door, and went back to her room. Just as she was starting to fall asleep, she heard a sharp, loud bang on the roof, followed by a rolling sound. After an hour, she woke up again, and this time, thick smoke was coming into her room. The number of strange events grew. A person who fixes phones told the Sodders that it looked like their lines had been cut and not burned. They realised that if the fire had been caused by faulty wiring, as the official report said, then the power would have been out and the downstairs rooms would not have been lit. A witness said that he saw a man at the fire scene taking a block and tackle, which is used to take car engines out. Could this man be why George's trucks wouldn't start that night? And when Sylvia was there with her family, she found a hard rubber thing in the yard, and Jenny remembered hearing the hard thud and rolling sound on the roof. 
George came to the conclusion that it was a pineapple bomb made of napalm like the ones used in war. Then came the reports of sightings. A woman said that she saw the missing kids looking out of the window of a passing car as the fire was going on. And another woman who runs a tourist stop about 50 miles west of Fayetteville near Charleston said that she saw the children the day after the fire. She told the police that she made them breakfast. And at the tourist court there was also a car with Florida plates. A woman at a Charleston hotel saw the children's pictures in a newspaper and said that she had seen four of the five a week after the fire. She said in a statement that the children were with two women and two men who were all from Italy. She couldn't remember exactly when it was, but everyone in the group did check in and stay in a big room with several beds. Sylvia was the youngest of the Sodder children and unfortunately she died in 2021. She didn't believe that her siblings died in the fire that night and when she had time she used to go to crime solving websites and talk to people who were still interested in the mystery surrounding her family. That night in 1945 when she was two years old was the first thing that she remembered and she said that she would never forget seeing her father bleed or hear the awful sounds of everyone screaming and she still doesn't know why. Thank you so much for listening to the Freakier Than Fiction podcast. If you got something out of today's episode and you haven't done this already, then kindly hit that follow or subscribe button and that way you won't miss the next freaky installment. And I'd love your feedback as it will really let me know what you think about this episode and others that you may have already listened to. So please take the time to leave a review and tell me what you'd like me to cover in upcoming episodes. If you want to get in touch, you can find me on Instagram. It's at freakierthanfiction, or one word. Also, on the Instagram, you'll find a Linktree account, which has all the links to my other social media accounts, including Facebook, Reddit, everywhere that you can listen to this podcast, and a YouTube channel, which is currently in the works. So make sure you go and give the Instagram a follow. I do make sure to read all my direct messages and answer them personally. Every day is freaky for fans of mystery, true crime, creepy and the paranormal. See you in the next episode.